0: Victor. Victor was a a Christian from a a good family in Marseille, France. And what he used to do is he would visit the poor and the afflicted and provide for their needs, usually at night time, because it was still dangerous to be calling himself a Christian. But he would be out there helping the poor and the needy and the sick. And of course, sooner or later, he was found out and he was seized under a decree by the Emperor Maximum. And he was bound and he was he was dragged through the streets while much of the the population enraged by finding out he was a Christian were, were making fun of him and shouting at him. But he refused to recant his faith. And so then he was put on a stretching rack and they stretched him out and tortured him as his limbs were dislocated. And as the executioners grew tired of that, they threw him into a dungeon. While he was in prison, in the dungeon, he converted his jailers, Alexander, Felician, and Longinus, all gave their life to the Lord. The Emperor got word of this and ordered their immediate execution and the jailers were beheaded. Victor was then put on the rack once more and tortured even more while being mercilessly beaten with batons and again he was thrown back into prison. A third time he was asked to recant his faith To denounce his Christianity They brought a small altar And he was commanded to offer incense up to a false god And immediately fired up with indignation Victor took one of his feet And he kicked over both the idol and the altar The emperor who was present at this Was so enraged that he ordered immediately For Victor's foot to be cut off He was then thrown into a mill and crushed to pieces with stones. That was just one example of one person probably amongst hundreds or thousands of people I could have picked as an example of people who lost their lives for their faith in Jesus in the early centuries of the church in fact the immediate centuries after Jesus' death saw periods of intense persecution it wasn't constant persecution but there would be periods depending on the emperor and how disposed they were or favourable to this new Christian faith because after all the way they saw it was that the adherents of this fanatical new sect that called themselves Christians were strange and they didn't fit in with the cultural norms they worshipped an invisible God which led people to call them atheists how ironic. On top of that, they were rumored to be cannibals because they met in each other's homes and they ate and drank the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So the rumors were circulating that they were cannibals. And worst of all, this was really the greatest sin they could commit. They refused to call the emperor Lord and Saviour that was actually the popular term for the emperor back then was Lord and Saviour and emperor worship was very very common especially in the time that the letter of Philippians was written the early church father Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church that's a pretty profound statement when you think about it because what he's saying is it was the sacrifice of these people in the church and the blood that they shed that actually helped the church grow And sprout. And despite the early persecution of the church, despite the fact that all of Jesus' disciples, bar perhaps the Apostle John, were killed for their faith, the church grew and grew and grew until 2,000 years later, there are over 2.2 billion people on planet Earth who claim to be Christians think about that It started off with the disciples 120 people after Jesus' death gathered in a room and now there are 2.2 billion Christians on this planet what can we put that down to? how does that happen? it would not seem likely with all the odds against Christianity flourishing with all the efforts to put it down to, to quench it to get rid of this pesky group of Christians well I put it down to the power of God and I put it down to what I like to call the relentless gospel. That's the title of our sermon today, the relentless gospel, because I believe there is something relentless about the message of the gospel that can never be stopped, despite people's best efforts. So, when we get to this passage of Paul's this morning in Philippians, um, remember Paul is in prison when he has written this this letter. And he starts, this whole passage, he uses the phrase, in chains. I'm in chains, because I'm in chains. He uses that phrase three times, just in this short passage we read this morning. And I think what he's doing is he's trying to make clear that while he's imprisoned, he has used his circumstances to spread the gospel. I mean, he says, look, because of me being in prison, guess what I've been able to do? I've been able to speak to to the guards, the praetorium guards. We don't know if they came to Christ, because uh, the scripture doesn't explicitly say that, but nonetheless, they know why he's in jail. It's because of Jesus Christ. And that's bound to have impacted them. And what Paul is saying is that all that has happened to him has actually helped the cause of the gospel. They've tried to imprison him to stop him spreading the gospel, but actually the gospel has been advanced rather than hindered by his imprisonment. I just, I just love the way God works. Because it's so counter to what we normally expect. there's, There's a paradox here that lies with the gospel. I believe we have a God of paradox. There's so many things God does that we would think were backwards that work. The cross is one paradox. That's a sermon for another day. But the paradox of the gospel. Why is it a paradox? Well, you see, human circumstances ultimately lie in God's hands. Okay? God's in control of everything. If we believe God is God, and He is sovereign, then there's nothing outside of His power and His control. And so our circumstances lie in God's control. We like to think we're in control of our lives, don't we? We like to think that um, we are the masters of our own fate and our destiny. But you know, ask anybody who's had a heart attack. Ask anybody who's had a stroke. Ask anybody who's been uh, diagnosed with a serious illness if we're in control all the time. And I think they'll tell you pretty quickly, no we're not. There are circumstances that we cannot control. But ultimately God is in control. And the way God works is He uses our circumstances, good circumstances, medium circumstances, bad circumstances, to advance the gospel. And so God works not merely in spite of, but through Adverse circumstances In a sense adversity is God's Playground God's like you want to give me some adversity I can turn that around in a heartbeat And for those of you who were here last week We had Teen Challenge with us And they shared some powerful powerful testimonies But I don't know if you remember there was one of the guys Ian who sort of spearheads uh, Teen Challenge Boston He said a very profound thing He said that um, I'm trying to think of the way he's along the lines that he said uh, despair is a magnet for God. He said despair is a magnet for God. God is a a magnet towards despair. And I can can speak to that personally because um, some of the lowest valleys in my life have been the highest peaks in my relationship with God. Let me say that again. Some of the lowest valleys in my life have been some of the highest peaks in my relationship with God. If you've been at a place of desperation, of hitting rock bottom, don't you find that there is a sweet time with the Lord where you are just reaching out, you realize you've hit rock bottom. and and this is a typical way of God working he works through adversity and when we hit rock bottom you know what happens then the Lord says okay guess what now I can take over now there's space for me to work because there's nothing of you left you know many of us are are fond of saying God never gives you more than you can handle you ever heard somebody say that Maybe you've said it yourself, right? You know, you're going through something. Well, I know God never gives us more than we can handle. And we kind of say it like that, don't we, as well. It's just, well, I know He never gives us more than we can handle. But you know what? Strictly speaking, that's not true at all. In fact, it's actually completely antithetical to the message of the gospel. Ooh, don't worry, you haven't committed blasphemy or anything like that. But where do we get this idea from that God never gives us more than we can handle? Well, I think it's a misinterpretation of a passage from 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And listen to what it says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted He will provide a way out That you can stand up under So people have taken that passage And thought Oh well, that means God's never going to give us More than we can deal with He's always going to give us A way out But here's the deal You're misunderstanding that passage Paul's talking about Something very specific here What's he talking about? Temptation He's specifically talking about temptation Paul does not He's not talking about general sufferings and trials He's talking about temptation So people have misapplied That scripture to mean That God will never give us more than we can handle Of course God's going to give you more than you can handle How else will we come to rely on him? If we can always solve our own problems How will we ever submit to the Lord And humble ourselves and admit that without Him we're completely helpless. I mean, if you can solve all your problems, you never need to come to the Lord to ask Him to help you. Of course He's going to give you more than you can handle. The greatest example of God giving us more than we can handle is the cross. Think about it. He had to send His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, because we were incapable of taking away our own sins. We were incapable of of saving ourselves, of working our own salvation out. I'd say that's a big case of something we can't handle. And so God had to send His Son. That's why we got the cross. Because of the very fact that we were given more than we could handle, God had to bail us out. The other thing is, you won't grow in your relationship with the, God, with, with the Lord if you never are given more than you can handle. That's how we grow. We grow through adversity and through struggle. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> I've, I've taught piano for probably close to 20 years. And through the years, all, with all the students I've had, there comes a point where I know that if they are going to grow as a pianist, I have to give them a new piece of music that is going to be too challenging for them. And here's what normally happens. They're doing well, they're kind of cruising along with their process and their development. And then I bring a new piece in and I say, OK, we're going to learn this piece. It's a tough piece. And I play the piece for them. And after I play the piece for them, there's usually this kind of look of fear on their face and a little bit of excitement because it's been a cool sounding piece and it sounds really hard. And they look at me and they say, I'm never going to be able to play that. How am I going to be able to play that? That sounds really hard. <laughs> And I say to them, no, you're right, right now, you don't stand a chance of being able to play this piece. But I'm going to help you play this piece. I'm going to guide you through it. I'm going to show you how to get over those technical difficulties. And as long as you stick at it and persist and practice, you will master this piece. But you see what happens? I gave them more than they could handle. If I had not stepped in and helped them and guided them and show them how to get through the difficult passages and all that, they would have been defeated by this peace. But instead, I'm there to help them. And it's the same way with God towards us. You know when we talk about being co-laborers of Christ? Well, that's part of the deal. We don't work independently of God. We work with Him and allow Him to take the reins when we get to places that we cannot handle. So Paul said, you know what, I'm in prison, but guess what, this has worked to advance the gospel. It's almost like he's going, ha, you thought you'd bound me, Uh uh-uh, I'll get the gospel in one way or another. And then he goes on and he says that, you know, some are preaching the gospel from good and noble purposes, and that there are those who are using the preaching of the gospel for selfish ambition and gain, to take advantage of the fact that Paul is out of the way. You know, there was people waiting in the wings, Paul's in prison, nice one, let's step in. We can take over his spot and reap all the benefits. You know, the funny thing is nothing's really changed, has it, today? I mean, we seek all kinds of pastors and preachers out there, don't we? You know, we have honest pastors and priests and ministers who are men and women of of integrity. Those are the ones you never hear about, by the way. You're not going to see headlines about the wonderful work the church does. It's only when things turn sour that the media loves to promote these things but we do have deceptive and dishonest and selfish ambitious men and women who see ministry as a way to power sex, fame and a fat paycheck I don't know about you but I was I always have a little bit of a diff- difficult time when we see some of say these the pastors of giant churches, mega churches and they're being paid millions of dollars for their salary and they live in, you know, multi-million dollar uh, mansions. And I'm always torn because I, I'm, I, I never want to kind of bash other ministers because I don't believe that is our place. And we don't know that person's heart and we don't know how the Lord is working. But just that, that part of you that feels like there's something amiss here kind of stirs the heart, doesn't it, a little bit. You start thinking, well, couldn't we use that money to help the poor? You know, when I was, uh, I was raised Catholic... And uh, there came a time in my life where I started getting more serious about my faith, and I really started studying the Bible more and more, really reading it for myself and delving into the passages. And as I was doing this, I got, um, I kind of got hooked a little bit on on some of the Christian TV channels, you know, the ones I'm talking about, uh, Daystar TV and whatever, you know, and they have a, a whole bunch of different uh, preachers and TV evangelists on that and I had this sort of strange fascination with some of the TV evangelists because they were teaching from the word and there was some good good teaching going on but at the same time there was also this, with some of them a veneer of it just didn't quite seem genuine you know you get the super slick pastor and they were always appealing for money right always appealing for money they are like people I just want you to know That if you'll sow a seed, a monthly seed of $62, the Lord's going to bless you. He's going to multiply that gift. I need a thousand people right now to make a $62 monthly pledge. And I just know the Lord is going to bless you. And if you'll make that donation today, there are people standing by on the phone lines 24 hours a day to take your money. I mean to pray for you. And if you make that commitment we'll send you this vial of holy water from the Holy Land itself blessed by the Holy Spirit as our gift to you. And I would would watch this with this kind of strange fascination of like these people for real? They're they're for real. They are for real. And you'd see people you know the audience members just like amen, amen. You know and as I would... You know, I've there was a little spirit of mockery in me. And I think we've got to be careful, right? I think there's, there's a time where that is completely justified. But like I say, we don't know what the Lord is working here. And a friend of mine reminded me... I, I did a similar thing with him and, and he was laughing. But he said, you know what? We've got to remember something though. There are people who are saved through watching those shows. There are people whose lives are transformed. with Some, some lonely uh, person at 3 a.m. in the morning is watching that channel... And a preacher gets through to them. And the point is, it doesn't really matter how it's dressed. The gospel is relentless and it will get through, whether it's from good motivations or bad motivations. And, you know, in a sense, and what does Paul say here when he's talking about this? He says, nah, eh, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So Paul's saying, Look, all I care about is the gospel, and I don't care how it gets out. Now, that doesn't mean that we condone fake preachers, okay? It doesn't mean we say, Well, you know what, whatever, whatever, if they're not a genuine man or woman of God, but, you know, whatever, the, the gospel is getting out. But, you know what, it does show us this the gospel is the most powerful message the world has. Let me say that again. The Gospel is the most powerful message the world has. What does is, what is the word Gospel mean? Well, it's interesting. It's, it's actually from an Old Saxon phrase. Good spell. The first word, God, G-O-D, not big capital G, but small God, in, in Old English meant good. And spell, the word spell... Was the word for story. And that's where we get the word gospel from, God's spell, good story. But it is the most powerful message the world has. You know, there's a reason why we love stories and epics like Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potter series, Snape, the Chronicles of Narnia, the endless superhero movies, Star Wars. Why do we love those stories, those epics so much? Well, it's because they speak a deeper truth and yearning to us. They speak a deeper truth and yearning to us. When we, when we watch those movies, we're like, yes, there's something so amazing about this. But you know what? They're a pale Im- Im- imitation of the one true and real story, the gospel. That's really the only story that matters. You know, the gospel is a message that many have tried to crush and erase. If you look back over church history, there have been so many attempts to snuff out the message of Jesus Christ, and they have all failed. Communism is a prime prime example of this. The communist regime tried to obliterate not only Christianity, but any sense of religion from the state. And as we speak, going on right now in China is a renewed persecution of the Christians there. There is a crackdown on the house churches, people are being arrested, thrown in jail. They're seizing Bibles that are deemed illegal. And they're actually right now in the process, the government is in the process of rewriting the Bible in China so that it fits the communist ideology. And yet, guess what? Christianity is flourishing in China. China is set to be the largest Christian nation in the world by 2030. That's 12 years away, folks. And they have one of the most hostile governments towards Christianity in the world. And guess what? The relentless gospel will not be boxed in. Another story, a Middle Eastern man, a young man was beaten to near death and covered in cigarette burns on the order of his Muslim mother because he had converted from Islam to Christianity he'd been able to find work in his home country in the Middle East and he'd been relying on his parents to pay for his apartment and other living expenses and following his conversion his mother came to him with a checkbook in one hand and a burial linen shroud in the other and she said to him you must choose between the two do you know what that brave young man replied? he said I want to live for Christ and die for him no matter the price that's happening right now, folks. This isn't some, some story in history in Fox's Book of Martyrs. There are people around the world being persecuted for their faith. Do you know that the Christian faith is probably the most persecuted faith in the world? It's one of the, the, if you're a Christian, you're part of a persecuted people group. And again, here's where we find the paradox of the gospel. The paradox is that the more you try to suppress the gospel, the stronger it gets. It's kind of like the Incredible Hulk. You know, the madder he gets, the bigger he gets. The harder you try to suppress it, the more powerful the gospel becomes. I found a pretty interesting example of this. You know, we were just I just mentioned Star Wars. Well, I thought there was a very interesting sort of parallel example of this to be found in... Do you remember the, the original Star Wars movie? episode 4, A New Hope, I think still the best. You know, the first three, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, definitely still the best of the three Star Wars movies. But there is there is a powerful scene in that episode 4 where Obi-Wan Kenobi has got onto the Death Star and he confronts Darth Vader right and you remember if you remember the story Darth Vader was used to be Obi-Wan Kenobi's student and then he, he turned to the dark side but Obi-Wan has has met with Darth Vader and they're about to kind of duel it to the death if you like so I, uh, <clears throat> I thought this would be a great example and time for me to be able to share with you my well famed Darth Vader impression Ah, uh, I mean, because I want to, I want to live out the scene, so you can really feel the impact of, of where I'm going here. So, to help with the impression, I, uh, I need the aid of a Pringles packet, and uh, it was a sacrifice, but I had to eat all the Pringles to, to use, so I could use it for this illustration. So I, you know, yes, I, it, it was a sacrifice, but like I said, you know, anything for the church. So. Darth Vader. Is kind of, he's kind of—he's perusing the the uh, the, um, <clears throat> the Death Star, right? And you know, you kind of hear, it. Hawk. 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 he had really bad asthma, I think. But Hawk. and he and he says, "I sense a presence I've not felt in some time." Hawk. And then Obi Wan confronts him. And Darth Vader, a very encouraging guy, he says, Hawk, your powers are weak, old man. Hawk. And Obi-Wan says, You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And then what happens? Luke? And Hansel and those guys, they're kind of running around trying to escape the the the, uh, the Death Star. And Luke's kind of, and he suddenly he spots Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, and they're kind of facing each other like this. with the And they're going at it with the lightsabers, right? And then Obi-Wan sees Luke. And he stops, and he just draws the lightsaber into himself like that. And then, of course, Darth Vader whoosh, strikes Obi-Wan and... You know, he kind of, remember that scene? His his kind of cloak just disappears and there's like nothing there. And, you know, and Luke's like, no! Right? But what's happened is, Obi Wan, he made a sacrifice, didn't he? Because he knew that if he sacrificed himself, he could become far more powerful and effective in Luke's life. Because now he would be, you know, become part of the force and he'd be able to speak to Luke all the time. He wouldn't be limited by time and space. So. That's how the gospel is. You strike the gospel down and it will become far more p- powerful than you can possibly imagine. There's a paradox there, isn't there? You know I mentioned uh, Tertullian earlier, the the uh, one of the early church fathers, and he said something eerily similar in a galaxy far far away from Star Wars many many years ago and he said this, he says the more you mow us down, the more numerous we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. The gospel, it's relentless. You cannot stop it. So what are we to do? That's all very nice, right? Oh, great, the gospel is relentless. Woohoo! Great. How does that affect you and I? What are we to do? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, we're called to rejoice and we're called to reach out rejoice and reach out. If I was in one of those mega churches, I'd be like, come on everybody, say rejoice and reach out to your neighbor. But I'm not going to make you do that. Because this is New England. But we are called to rejoice and reach out. Rejoice like Paul does. That's what it tells us at the end of this passage, doesn't it? He said he rejoiced. Because come rain or shine, the gospel is preached. We should rejoice too. Because we're part of the gospel story. Each and every one of you, if you put your faith and trust and life in the hands of Jesus Christ, you are part of the gospel story. And that should be such an encouragement. You're part of the greatest story, the greatest message that has and ever will exist. The gospel cannot be stopped. It's relentless. We need to rejoice, but secondly, we also we need to reach out. Right, the gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves quite the opposite we're meant to share it and spread the good news the God spell you know there, um, there are many people and movements out there right now that believe they have a crucial message for this country Right, that the world or this country needs to hear. Right, We've got the hashtag Me Too, we've got the hashtag Black Lives, Blue Lives, All Lives Matter. We've got hashtag Stop Trump, hashtag Make America Great Again, hashtag Back Brett, hashtag I Believe Christine Blasey Ford. The list goes on. And the passion on both sides of the aisle, wherever you, wherever you land, is powerful. But let me ask you this. If we can all be so passionate and vocal about those issues and choose your poison why can't we be that passionate about the gospel because I'm sorry but as as important as all those those movements and those messages might be all those movements and causes are products of the time and culture we live in right now the gospel is timeless it transcends all cultures and is for all uh, Humanity. That's what we should be shouting from the rooftops about. That's what we, you know, what we should be getting enraged about. That more people aren't being saved. That more people aren't coming to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So we need to reach out. Paul was in prison, and he still managed to preach and share the gospel. Victor, the man we talked about at the beginning, he still managed to reach out to the jailers. And so, what you know that tells us? Having limited freedom is no excuse for not promoting and sharing the gospel. And I'm sure each and every one of you, we can think that because of the places we work and the times we live in, we have some limited freedoms, don't we, on, on how we can share our faith with others. Right. Well, we're not allowed to proselytize at work, or, or, or in public uh, sectors and places like that. Right. We do have some limitations on how we can blatantly share our faith. But you know what? There's a great saying attributed to Saint Francis. Probably wasn't him who said it, but nonetheless, the statement stands. It says uh, something along the lines of, "Preach the gospel at all times, and use the and use words if necessary." There's a way that you and I can preach the gospel. Not through what we say, but through what we do. We want to act and live in such a way that our co-workers and our friends and the different circles we mix in look at us and say, there's something different about them. There's something different about her. There's something different about him. I can't lay my finger on it, but it is very compelling, and I want to know more about what makes that person tick. We can be a light in the places we work and we can preach the gospel through how we live our lives. So rejoice, reach out, use every opportunity. How can, I, how can I sneak the gospel in here? You'll be surprised there's more opportunities than you think if you become gospel-minded. And thirdly, I hate to say it, but be prepared to experience suffering and persecution. For your faith, it's becoming less and less popular to be a Christian in this country. In fact, in the West in general, and especially if you're a Christian who believes in the authority of Scripture, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, (gasps) you're the worst of the worst. You're a bigot. You're narrow-minded. You ever experienced any of those feelings or criticisms? I believe there is persecution coming to this country and it's already here in small bouts. But through our suffering, we sow the seeds of the gospel. And history has an interesting track record with the church. And it basically can fall into two groups. Here's what tends to happen the church goes through a period of um, prosperity, of affluence. The church is doing well, the numbers are up, the money's coming in. And what happens is, The church then stagnates and declines because it's too comfortable. And then you'll have a period of persecution where the church is is attacked and persecuted. And guess what happens? With it comes revival and growth. Again, it's that paradox of the gospel. So if you feel like persecution is coming, don't be afraid, be excited. This is where we get a chance to really stand up for what we believe, to declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you can anticipate a time coming very soon of revival, of newfound depth of faith, excitement, people being on fire for the Holy Spirit. It's coming, folks. The gospel is relentless, and you can either be part of the drive that propels the most important message the world has ever heard, or you can be run over and crushed by it trying to stand in its way. Which way are you going to go? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, despite humankind's best efforts, your message will not be stopped. We thank you, Lord, that you, you sent us your son, your one and only son, Lord, that whoever might believe will not perish but will have eternal life that's how much you loved the world Lord and we thank you that you sent your son to do what we could not do to do what we couldn't handle it's because you love us so much and I ask Lord that as we go forth today and every day would you would you show us how we can share that exciting news with our co-workers with our family with our friends. Give us courage, Lord. Give us boldness. We can be so passionate about so many other things. Why can't we be passionate about the only thing that really matters? Would you give us a new passion, Lord, for your gospel? Give us that courage. I pray, Lord, you would you would just... Um, fill us up with that right now as I pray each and every person sitting in the pews this morning Lord would they walk out of here feeling empowered feeling boldened, feeling on fire for you Jesus we praise you, we give you thanks and we ask this all through your son Jesus Christ, Amen